Good morning again. Welcome to Crosspoint Church. My name is Rob Fraser. I'm one of the pastors here. Post-World War I, the next decade in the United States was one of significant advancements. From 1920 to 1929, we saw the rise in the households of automobiles, motion pictures, radios, and in fact, electricity in over 60% of U.S. houses. Can you imagine a time when that didn't happen? That like a decade or a decade and a half before that, only like 10 to 15% of Americans had electricity in their homes. The 1920s also saw women being able to vote, women in the workplace, and a newfound sexuality amongst those who were flappers. Jazz music was on the rise, and the nation's wealth doubled in that decade, the GNP increasing by 40% from 1922 to 1929. This decade, 100 years ago, was known as the Roaring Twenties. But for everybody, it wasn't roaring. Some people didn't roar whatsoever. Only a small percent of the people had wealth. In fact, three out of five American families made less than $2,000 a year, which was considered the minimum livable income. Farming that had boomed during World War I because of European exports had all of a sudden plummeted, and there was a surplus of food with nobody able to buy it. Socially, there was a new divide. There was a new anti-communist movement, and immigrants were now frowned upon, especially those from Asia, those from Eastern Europe. In fact, laws were set to minimize the amount of immigrants from those specific areas. African Americans fled to northern cities like Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago, and violence against African Americans and immigrants increased greatly. When the stock market crashed in 1929, it brought a new era, the Great Depression. But for many Americans, they were already there. How much have you and I progressed in the 100 years since that moment? I kind of feel like we have new ingredients in the soup, but it's almost the same thing. Because you and I are sinful. You and I are human beings. And you and I need God more than ever. And absolutely you agree, because unless somebody literally dragged you here this morning, you're here. So recognizing our need to gather for worship on a regular basis, what is it that God wants out of our weekly worship? Well, 250 years after King David was the king of Israel, in Israel's heyday, the nation of Israel found itself in an absolute mess. The book of Amos reveals in chapter 5 that the times were evil. The nation was divided, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was led by King Uzziah, and he became king at the age of 16 when his father was assassinated. And he led a pretty solid, obedient reign of 50 plus years until the very end when he faltered and his pride got in the way. And you'll hear more of that story in a few weeks. Jeroboam II was the king of the nation of Israel, the northern tribes. And he came into power at an opportune moment. He seized his opportunity because the nation's world power, Assyria, had conquered Syria. And then Assyria itself, their power began to wane. So Jeroboam flexed his muscles 
Borders expanded, and pretty soon Israel controlled the trade routes. For them, it was the Roaring Twenties. Money was coming in big time. But God's response to this was repulsion. Amos 3, my people have forgotten how to do right. Enter the prophet Amos. The Lord called me, chapter 7 says, away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to my people in Israel. And when we say flock, he's not talking about another worship gathering. He's talking about literally sheep. God had a significant message of wrath for his people in the northern tribes of Israel. Now Amos was just a shepherd and part-time fig tree maintainer. And God said, you need to take this word to my people. And so we have the book of Amos, we have this written word, but we also understand that most likely he physically went to the northern tribes to deliver this message of doom and gloom. This people who had considered themselves hashtag blessed were really corrupt. Chapter 8 tells us they were robbing the poor and trampling down the needy. This is not one of these Jonah stories where the Assyrians had, okay, one more chance to turn it around. The message that Amos was taking is, you're done. God is absolutely furious with you and punishment is on the way. What a fun career change for Amos, right? The book of Amos, which we'll be looking at several verses throughout the book, is nine chapters long. I want to encourage you later on today or this week to go through it. It's a pretty quick read, and we'll be picking verses from here and there so you'll understand the big picture. Chapter 8 begins to tell us the four major sins of the nation of Israel. The first sin that you can write down in your program insert is shady business practices. Chapter 8, you can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festivals to end so you can get back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and you cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. You mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. Smaller portions, poor quality, and price gouging. This is God's chosen people. The second sin is detailed as unfair taxation. Chapter 5 tells us you trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. And when the times are at its hardest, wherever you're at, it's the poor that suffer the most. If you remember from the sanctions that were put on South Africa decades ago, it hurt their economy, but you know who it hurt the worst in that country? The poorest of the poor. When drought came to the people of Israel, who did it hurt the worst? The poor. Because the few resources they had, if they had land whatsoever, they had to sell those. And perhaps even sell themselves into indentured servitude. Sin number three, corruption in the courts. They had turned justice into poison, it says in chapter six. And chapter two, God tells them, you sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals? 
Judges are being bribed. You can buy the verdict as long as you have enough money. The poor are, just, are denied justice. And perhaps the worst sin, number four, they are visibly uninterested in what's going on. And Amos likens them to cattle grazing. Listen to this from chapter four. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and who are always calling to your husbands, bring us another drink. And then chapter six, verse four continues. How terrible for you who sprawl on ivory beds and lounge on your couches eating the meat of tender lambs from the flock and of choice calves fattened in the stall. You sing trivial songs to the sound of the harp and fancy yourselves to be great musicians like David. You drink wine by the bowlful and perfume yourselves with fragrant lotions. You care nothing about the ruin of your nation. As the poor suffer, the wealthy are doing what my uncle, late Uncle Bob would have said. They are navel-gazing, completely disinterested while the world around them is crashing. But every Sabbath, guess what? They showed up in their Sunday best. They sang the songs. They bragged about all the money they put in the offering plate. They listened to God's word. And they lamented altogether that they couldn't wait for the day of the Lord. Now the day of the Lord in the New Testament is the day that we await Jesus' return. To the nation of Israel, the day of the Lord was the day that the Lord would restore them to complete power. We want justice, they cried. And then they went home and life went back to normal. So uh, how did God feel about that? This is the passage that Justin read earlier. I hate all your show and pretense, chapter 521 says. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies, I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your hearts. Really quickly in your insert, God's response, I hate your worship. I will not accept your offerings. I will not listen to your music. Enough. You've been playing a game way too long. I can see right through it. And God says, you want the day of the Lord? You want justice? All right, here you go. But you're not going to like it. Chapter 518 says, that day will bring darkness, not light. An enemy will overrun your land, we find out in chapter 3. In chapter 2, God says, I will crush you. Chapter 9, I will strike you with a sword. And chapter 5 details that 90% of the population of Israel will be gone, dead, or scattered. The land will go to the enemies, and the songs that Israel will be singing will be those of wailing and tears. And maybe the worst news for those who do survive, chapter 8, verse 11 tells us that there will be a famine of God's word. It foreshadows the 400 years between Old Testament and New Testament where God is silent. 400 years 
or they're not going to hear from him. And in one generation, sure enough, this comes true. Israel is conquered by Assyria and exiled. They didn't see it coming, even though God had warned them. Even though they had gathered regularly for worship and went to the festivals that God had required. So what is it that God wanted out of their weekly worship? Amos 5.24. I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. The two things in your insert you can write down, God wants justice and God wants righteous living. Not a few hours a week, seven days a week. They had missed it by a mile. This people had been told and had, were convinced that they were God's chosen people. Yet the Titanic was sinking and they were rearranging deck chairs. How about now? What does he want from us? What does God want out of our weekly Worship. Since I was born in 1970, if you're doing the math, I am still in my 20s. I have been attending church. The church that I grew up in, you would have seen a few things like this. You would have seen stained glass. The church I ended up in a few decades later had cinder block walls and an old middle school cafeteria. You would have seen me as a first grader standing on the top of the stair wearing this ridiculous white gown, I guess, that went to our knees with a giant red bow singing in the choir. That church had a gigantic pipe organ. A couple decades later, I was in a church with drums and a guitar. The liturgy was very formal, where the pastor, dressed in a gown and a stole, would call out to the congregation, the congregation would respond with the same liturgy every single week. And now, I attend a church and have for years that's basically made up of music and the word and prayer. Back then, I would have worn dress pants, something really nice. Today, you're lucky if I'm wearing jeans. You would have seen me as a kid in Mrs. Beck's Sunday school class put in a quarter in that plastic little church thing And today we give a percentage of our income. Back then it would have been a church of bad coffee and since then it's okay coffee. Um, What is it God wants from our weekly worship? Is it music? Is it it a style of of the sanctuary? Is it Liturgy, is it the clothes that we wear? Is it the specific translation of the Bible that we're supposed to read? God wants justice to roll. Justice and righteous living, it says in the Bible we read today, the NIV says, let justice roll. Memorial Day, 1996, 27 years ago, this very weekend, Kristen Smart disappeared. A year after I had left the very same school, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, Kristen Smart was a freshman. And she went to a party that weekend when most students had gone home, but she went with a friend, convinced her friend to go, and they never saw her again. Witnesses saw a young man, a young man with quite a history 
of poor behavior that she was with. This man, Paul Flores, was the early suspect and the only suspect. But the investigation was completely botched. Campus police did not begin the investigation for four days. The small, sleepy town had never seen anything like this. They were convinced that she was just with friends or had gone home for the weekend. Four days. In fact, the crime scene, the scene of the crime, that dorm room wasn't investigated for weeks. And it had already been sanitized and cleaned by the time the county sheriff got in there. When the county sheriff took it over, they made mistakes too. They lost evidence. And when the defendant found out what was going on, in front of a lawyer, he took the Fifth Amendment 27 times. There was so much guilt against him, so clear that he was the guy, but he was able to find this loophole. And in the 20 years that he was free, I won't go into detail here, but many people suffered. Many women specifically suffered at his actions. Not to mention that Kristen's family and friends and parents' lives were completely ruined. Injustice is infuriating. You and I are 2,800 years removed from this passage. Anybody that might say the Bible is irrelevant, I don't know. I, I read this passage and whew, there's a lot in there. So much injustice that you and I can talk about this morning. We'll start off a little bit lighthearted, all right? Concert ticket fees. <laughs> Why? Who, who's getting those? Or maybe even worse, this has greatly affected my family. McDonald's soda has gone from $1 to $2.60. Yeah, that afternoon Diet Coke is now costing us a pretty penny. Back to the serious. The misuse of power globally is an injustice. My sister who works overseas says the people that make the decisions for a country are not the ones who pay the consequences for those decisions. Did you know that in 2023 alone, there will be an estimated 2 million new refugees worldwide? When I put this poll out on social media a few weeks ago, I got lots of responses. Here are some of those. Women abandoned by their husbands or by the baby daddy who are now in charge financially and responsibly for their kids' upbringing. Poverty, unequal access to medical care, unequal access to medicine. I hope you have the money so that you get the good insulin and not the okay insulin. Your life depends on it. Unequal access to fresh food. Why is it that we can buy chemicals and things in bags and boxes cheaper than fruits, vegetables? Unequal access to legal representation. I hope you have money to afford one of those good lawyers. The mental health crisis in our country. And a few of us have found in that process that there are so many ways that people fall through the cracks. It's devastating. 
human trafficking, racial tension, fentanyl, abortion, the overwhelming and predominant incarceration of brown and black men over white men. And how about this? Gun violence. As of May 7th this year, there have already been 202 instances in which, in which four people in that one instance have been shot, not necessarily killed. And we are in pace in 2023 for 60 shootings in which four or more people will die in those shootings. Already in the first few months, outdoor mall in Dallas, a medical center in Atlanta, a 16-year-old's birthday party in Texas, a bank in Louisville, a private elementary Christian school in Nashville, Michigan State University, Half Moon Bay, Monterey Park in a dance studio. And I could go on in just the first few months. Statistics tell us that in 2019, per every 100,000 citizens of a country, that in the United States, almost four died from gun-related deaths. 3.96. Compare that to Canada, which is at 0.47, or seven or eight times fewer per 100,000. The United Kingdom, 0.04. To put that another way, that in 2021, in the, nations of, in the countries of England and Wales, 31 people were killed by homicide by gun. 31. The same year in the United States, 21,000. Gun-related deaths per 100,000 in Japan, 0.02. Same for South Korea. Singapore, 0.01. Compare that with some of the worst. Mexico at 16.41. El Salvador, 36.78 people gunned down per 100,000 people. The United States ranks 32 highest in the world. Statistically, more deaths per 100,000 by gun than Pakistan, Cambodia, Sudan, Turkey, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, and Iran. Iram Salam in The Guardian says, No other industrialized country outside war and conflict zones experiences such habitual gun violence and civic life than the United States. The Pew Research Center tells us that four out of ten adults in the United States live in a house with a gun. And responding as to why that is, 63% in a Gallup poll tell us it's for self-protection. 13,900 people in the first third of this year have died by gun. Over half of them by suicide. Amongst those 13,900 plus, 491 were teenagers, 85 children, and 494 deaths were unintentional or accidental. This is a significant problem. Amos says, let justice roll. All right, here's the facts, Crosspoint Church. We are all kinds of people discovering and following Jesus. There are amazing people in this church. I could go on for hours talking about it. Marissa, Aaron, Rosie, all work with my kids on Tuesday nights. Uh, Miss Shirley, 
Shirley Richards has been working with my son, giving him his first job as, an, as a ninth grader, teaching him to work in her garden and spending tons of time with him. That's been a game changer for us. Uh, guys like Daryl, guys like Gary that are here as volunteers so often giving their time to set up behind the scenes. And there's so many more. This is also a very giving congregation. Just two weeks ago, the party with a purpose, what we had, 30, 40 baskets, donations, thousands and thousands of dollars given just in those baskets. And then in those seven days, this church gave over $67,000. This is an amazing place. You are amazing people. But Cross Point Church, we cannot get complacent. Israel got complacent. And if we ever think that it's beyond us or it would never happen to us, that's a foolish statement. There are churches in our country that say that we, as American Christians, are God's chosen people. I have bad news for them. They are not reading the same Bible that I am. It is not scriptural. In fact, it's quite arrogant to say something like that. And this is from a guy who loves this country, has been to almost every state in the country, and has thoroughly enjoyed the blessings, the ridiculous things we've gotten to do across this country. But even God's real chosen people, the ones that God said, you are my chosen people, it didn't work out so well for them, did it? They faltered. So instead of just giving you problems, I'm really good at that when I come up (laughs) and preach. Here's all the bad stuff happening. Let's sing, right? I want to offer some solutions. Let's go home and feel bad about ourselves. No. I want to offer some solutions. I want to challenge you. Maybe there's one thing from today that you take home. Just one thing. The first solution is self-reflection. So God tried to get Israel's attention. In fact, chapter 4 tells us that he sent them drought. God sent them empty stomachs. God even allowed some of their young men to die. And even in those circumstances, they didn't pay attention. And God says, you have not returned to me. Is God trying to get our attention? We need to listen to God. We need to read scripture. We need to let scripture read us. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Where am I entitled what are my blind spots? The staff was joking a couple weeks ago as we were preparing for this message and talking about this. How do you prepare yourselves for worship every weekend when you come? Are anybody, any of you guilty as some of the staff is in that you're speeding in your car and you're yelling at your children in the back seat and you rush in a couple minutes late and sit down and you're like, okay, I'm ready to worship. Matthew 5 also encourages us, if you have something against a brother or a sister, if you have not reconciled a relationship, before you come up to the communion tables, before you offer your sacrifice, go make it right. 
I still remember my dad doing that when I was probably 10, 11 years old, and I remember it all these years later. The second thing that we can do is to educate ourselves about injustices. Educate yourself about injustices. Self-awareness is really key here. Do you understand how ridiculously spoiled that you are and that I am living where we live? We also need to understand our context to know that we might read scripture just a little bit differently than somebody in a different state, a different country will read. What are those things that are influencing you? What is my life experience like? And what, how are those things influencing the way that I read God's word? I bet you there are people, there are followers of Christ in other nations, people suffering, people in a war-torn nation that read scripture just a little bit differently. We just need to be aware that we don't read it perfectly. We need to seek information, and this is near impossible, that's nonpartisan. <laughs> Does that exist anymore? At the very least, start listening to different viewpoints than your own to give you something to consider. One columnist for the New York Times is a guy that my sister pointed me to years ago, Nick Kristoff. He is not a Christian, but I think he's close. I don't agree with everything he says, but he's a guy that has traveled the world and reports on all sorts of injustices. The third thing that we can do is to pray about it daily. Make injustice something that you pray about. God, what is going on in my neighborhood, my little world, and your world? And finally, number four, do something. Do something. There is a debate amongst some churches in our country that social justice is actually a bad word. There are some churches that say, absolutely not. You preach the gospel, you go to church, you read God's word, and that's it. And there's other churches at the other end of the spectrum and say, no, 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 it's all about social justice. And we need to fight for people. And on that extreme, you might not even hear the name of Jesus. The gospel all of a sudden becomes just social justice. The answer is somewhere in between. It's both. The word of God, uncompromised, and action. Jesus' brother James says in chapter 1 of his book, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let justice roll. Words, more than words. Prayer, more than prayer. Do something about it. Do we take responsibility for other people who just aren't able to? Let's go to gun violence. Okay, what if I were to say, get rid of all your guns? Ooh. I could have said, kick puppies over the side of the bridge, and that would have been less controversial, right? <laughs> there is a love for guns in this country that is matched nowhere. I attended and was part and on staff of a church in a different area that hosted an event where we were shooting. It was fun. 
our country's in its DNA, westward expansion, the old west, manifest destiny includes the gun. Good guys have them. Bad guys have them. And too often when we see these shootings, the only thing that comes out of the church's mouths is a post on social media that says, thoughts and prayers. But here we are, nothing is changing. And it seems to me like it's getting worse. Why is it that in some states, people don't have to get a permit to carry, or some people don't? Why is there no mandated safety training in some states? Now, some of you might say, yes, absolutely, we need to follow what the UK has done. We need to go hardcore and get rid of all the guns. And the statistics are right there, that their gun-related deaths have plummeted. Others will say, nope, guns don't kill people, people kill people. Why is it that my rights are more important than the safety of all people? In one sense, I don't think there is a great answer whatsoever. I mean, if I think about, I want to protect my family, yeah, I want to consider getting a gun. But the prevalence of guns that we have in our country has got us to the place where we are riding on the crazy train. We have got to do something about it. I remember one of my trips to Southeast Asia where I'd walk outside of all these private stores, McDonald's, Burger King, the post office, whatever it was. There's an armed guard in front of every one of those stores. Is that where we want to head? Let's talk about immigration. Let's talk about refugees. Do you have the mindset that everybody, every single person walking across our border is a criminal? Absolutely, border security is necessary. But we can't say that everybody walking across the border is a criminal. How can we, followers of Jesus, Crosspoint, love our immigrants, love the refugees? Do you know the stories of the people coming through our borders? International Christian Adoptions, one mile down the road that way, that was here two weeks ago, is doing amazing work in several ways. They have women who are being trafficked overseas that are escaping that hell to get here to restore their life in a way that they have always dreamed. Why were you born here? Did you choose to be born here? Were you that smart that pre-birth that you chose to be born where you are, at the very least, understand your context, why you are fortunate to live where you do. Build relations. Build relationships with people that are immigrants, people that are refugees. You can go volunteer at ICA. They're looking for people that can work with immigrants that are in the process of getting their green card, that need to learn a language, that need to learn financial literacy in this context. The denomination that I'm uh, ordained with, the Evangelical Covenant Church, um, has a trip that they offer a few times a year called Sankofa. They go to hot spots from the civil rights movement. They take people, they take any Christians that want to go to Birmingham, to Jackson, to Memphis. They have hard conversations about racial righteousness. What about the homeless? Uh, Hannah 
who is on staff at our church here, has worked, has owned a couple restaurants, and has worked with people that have been in need with job training. We need to get creative with stuff like that. We need to give our money to the right organizations, people that are globally loving on people and serving people and changing their lives. Organizations like World Vision, World Relief, Compassion International. What about fostering? What about adoption? There's a few families in here that have done that. There's a couple families that have done a whole lot of that. What if more of us did that? If you go back and think, well, what can I do? I'm just one person. It reminds me of the words of Amos, who said, I, I, I'm not a prophet. <laughs> Yet God sent him a shepherd and a fig tree maintainer to prophesy. To tell them the fate of what was happening to their country. In 2019, a 31-year-old studio musician very shy, started a podcast, Your Own Backyard. Chris Lambert was only eight years old when Kristen Smart went missing. Yet for years, he saw the billboard still up there. He heard the news articles. For over two decades, this case was essentially cold. And he was no crime detective. He will tell you that absolutely but this nod on him, it wouldn't go away. So he did something about it. And when he released episode one, in the first seven days, 75,000 people downloaded that episode. Many people listened. And those people included the suspect and his family. And without going into much detail, some of the things that they did, some of the things that they emailed, some of the things that they, phone calls that they made to each other, were now recorded and were now witnessed. And in 2021, Paul Flores was arrested. And earlier this year, he was convicted of first degree murder. We have still not found her body, but justice has ruled. The band's going to come up. God can use each of us to let justice roll. In a moment, you're going to, have to, you're going to be able to respond to what you've heard in God's word today. We have the four communion tables where you can go to those corners and reflect on what God has done for us. The prayer team is in the back. If there's anything going on in your life, they would love to pray with you. And I don't want to leave you hopeless this morning. The very last five verses of the book of Amos, chapter 9, verses 11 to 15, after Amos has just railed on God's people, he says, but, hold on a second, there will be a restoration of David's house. Grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. And exiles will return. My friends, we have hope. That though this world looks hopeless, that though the issues we have talked about seem hopeless, we serve a God that can. A God that cares about justice, 
that gave his life in the most unjust act because he loves you. And you and I get to do justice with him. We get to tell the world that there is true hope in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. How long will you defend the unjust and show a partiality to the wicked, Lord? I ask you, defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Jesus, we come before you today. We are a broken people. We are a people in some ways no different than the nation of Israel 2,800 years ago. But we, as a people, come to you humbly on our knees and ask God, let justice roll. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for looking away. Make us better. Change us. Use us to do justice in our neighborhood and around the world. 